Welcome to Ordinary People Doing Extraordinary Things. I'm your host, Carrie Roberts, and I'll be showing you how average, everyday people have chosen to make positive changes in their life to accomplish what makes them happy. I hope this podcast will allow you to feel a connection with people who have something in common with you and make you realize you can have the life you want. Hello, everyone, and welcome today. My guest is Sean O'Mara. How are you today, Sean? Doing well, Carrie. How are you today? I am wonderful. I am so excited to reconnect with you. I think the last time we spoke was maybe about a year ago or so, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, so I am excited to hear about all the awesome things you're doing. But what I want to start with is you started in the software engineering field and now you're a coach. So let's go back to kind of the beginning of what your life was like as a software engineer and in the IT field and what you were doing, how you were feeling kind of at that moment when you were in that space in your life. Sure. And yes, I think, wow, it's been, I think it's been almost six years to the month that I chose to walk away from the tech world. So uh, it's been a while, but I I still remember. so yeah, I, I graduated with a computer science degree and was working as a software engineer there in Silicon Valley. And I had a number of different roles. And towards the end, I was in more management and project management roles. Um, definitely love the tech, though honestly, when you're doing project management and or managing a team, um, tech is on the side. <laughs> and uh other things are really more primary. So for me, really, it was because I just felt for a variety of reasons, both things going on with the organization and just in my own life, I just felt like I no longer was really directly serving and helping the way that I wanted to. I only felt challenged in the bad ways, not in any of the good ways. And uh, I made the very scary yet uh, decisive choice to to walk away and figure out what would work for me instead. Mm, okay, so let's get into that a little bit more. So when you said you felt like you weren't being challenged in the good ways anymore, how long would you say you were having that feeling before you decided I need to make a change? Like it was the next day, a month, a year, where did that kind of voice start coming from? Yeah, it was definitely a couple years and it probably coincided with the stuff going on in the workplace, which was really, really, really difficult. And management above me was having a lot of uh, – the growing pains were way too much for them. So not only did I feel pretty alone as far as like getting support for, for what we were trying to make better, um, a lot of other difficult things within the family – and so just everything was starting to really just it feels like it was slowly closing in and suffocating me <laughs> over a couple actually a couple of years. I mean it, it didn't happen overnight, but uh, it definitely uh, progressively got worse for sure. And I think unfortunately, a lot of people feel that. Um, you know, we get into maybe you go to college for something you think that's what you want to do or what somebody told you you're supposed to do. And then you do it and it's okay for a while, but then you're kind of like, oh, it's a job. You know, you just want (laughs) to go home and like get out of it. Why do you think that people do that? And why do you think they can like continue to stay so long when they too are feeling that voice for such a long period of time? 
Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. I think more and more uh, when people are either starting on a career path or maybe even the next rung within the career path that they're on, it's one thing to hear about someone else's experience with it or to imagine what it would feel like for us. It's altogether different once you're actually in the trenches yourself being it and living that yourself. And that can be a tough reality check. And I also, too, for, for most of us, we all have our, our different set of fears and we want to conform in most ways. And so sometimes that will also maybe keep us from making change that we might feel would be better for us but might feel or look too risky or too different from what we're on right now. Mm. Yeah, I think that's true. That makes sense. I think also a lot of the times I hear, well, well, I make good money. So they kind of <laughs> put aside like, well, I'm unhappy, but I make good money. So on my off time, I'm able to buy the car that I want and go on vacation when I want. And so they think that that's okay to live that way. How do you feel about that? Or did you feel that at all? Or, or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm laughing because that is so true. And, and I'm certainly I felt that as well. And people certainly talk again, as you know, I no longer live in Silicon Valley, but I lived there for quite a while. Mm -hmm. But you hear people talking about that all the time. They talk about the golden handcuffs where people have like the amazing job, the amazing paycheck, and you know, a lot of this abundance on paper, but they really feel shackled. They feel like they don't necessarily have the the time or energy really to appreciate a lot of it just because they're they they feel like so imprisoned and a slave to continuing to earn that paycheck. And and that's a really that's a tough one because you have all of these societal things that are rewarding you in a number of ways, you know, keep, keep overworking, keep being tired because, you know, it's all in the name of that, that great paycheck. Um, so that's a really tough one to kind of stand up to and, and say, well, maybe there's a different way or another way. Mm. So then at what point would you say that you finally were like enough, like I need to get out of this, I'm done. <laughs> Was it just like it kind of built up and you just couldn't like take it anymore or was there a particular incident or what was kind of that moment where you're like you know what I'm it's okay that I'm not going to conform it's okay I'm breaking away from these golden handcuffs I'm I need to do something else yeah no it, it's a good question because again a lot of it was really building up over time and and also just a, a quick summary like around the time that the work stuff was getting worse and worse and worse just even a few of the things happening within my family within like a short period of time included uh, my mom getting diagnosed with cancer, my dad getting diagnosed with cancer, yeah. my younger sister with severe financial woes, my older sister going through you know, some of that as well on a foreclosure and living with me for a while, etc. So I had every person in my family going through really, really difficult stuff. And it, with all of that, along with the fact that I could never get away from the stress of my job, it, it really – you couldn't help but have your perspective change from that. And I finally realized, I thought, you know, I – if I need to be there for my family, I said I can barely show up for myself right now because I'm just so unhappy and, and just mm -hmm. tired and stressed right now. And that really was the combo of things that made me finally say, 
I don't know how this will look, but I need to make the change. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's very intense. So when all of that is going on, so that's also emotionally and mentally straining, um, what becomes the next action step? So, right, so you see so many people that are unhappy, then you have people that say, okay, now I'm ready to make that change, but I have no idea what to do next. So what was kind of those first couple things that you started to do? I mean, did you just say, oh, I'm quitting my job? Or did you start something on the side? Or did you explore and research what you wanted to do? What was kind of those next couple steps? Yeah, and and I know for a lot of people, especially when they're considering making change, they they usually do a little something on the side and, and have a little more of a plan first. Mine wasn't exactly that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I certainly was you know, trying to kind of explore and research things while still working. But yeah, admittedly, I was so emotionally and physically drained from everything else that was going on. I really wasn't in a very uh, awake, receptive, (laughs) ready for change state of mind. It was more desperate than decisive. Um, But one thing that had been true, and it was really kind of stemming from what I was wanting to try and help with, especially with my my parents and especially with my mom, um, because I'd always been really fascinated and interested in fitness and nutrition and wellness and all these things that are the more natural approach to just enhancing our own performance and and how we feel and all of that. And with her cancer battle, I thought, you know, this is a great time where I can give back because there's just so much I feel that I could help and, you know, provide as a way to kind of help her while she was dealing with stuff. And so that's why I started doing wellness coaching when I first left the corporate world. It was kind of part of an overall arching desire to use what I knew already in ways that I could see people needed already then too. Mm. I like that. So when you were doing, so you're helping your mom, first of all, that's really beautiful and noble and um, you know wonderful to help in such that way. When you decided to go into wellness coaching, was that something that you started doing online, in person, you started doing groups, like what was kind of your vision for that? Or like you said, you just kind of were like, well, I'm just going to try anything and see what happens. Or did you have a specific plan going forward from that? Yeah, I I admit it it really, you know, I had been doing most of the things that I was doing with other people was, was online. And, you know, it was through, I mean, you know, a lot of people have heard about it's a direct sales company and I'm not a direct sales person or a network marketer, but the products and things I really enjoyed. So I initially was doing things with that just because it was stuff that really worked well for me. Um, and that was both very new and not quite what I expected. And, and quite honestly, uh, the other lessons that were coming at, going on at the same time were, you know, especially with family stuff, just because you want to help someone doesn't mean they want your help. Mm-hmm. And and that was a really tough one with with my mom, not just for me, but from from the rest of us. Sometimes people um yeah, just quite simply they, they, they're not ready or are not uh wanting help and that that's ultimately their choice. Yeah, I agree. I think that's something that I continue to learn uh, you know, in a lot of ways the hard way, you know, personal things as well. Um, that you see somebody needs the help and you're like, but I'm here, I can do it. And they're like, no, they want like the complete opposite. And uh, yeah, you, you know, you can only help those that want it and you can only be 
around people who are receptive to you and what you give. And so allowing the people that don't want the help to just kind of be, which is, I think, a really hard thing. No, I mean, absolutely. And it's kind of like the career stuff we're talking about earlier. It's one thing to hear or read about something being true. It's another thing to actually experience it directly and go, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. this is this is this is how this feels. Uh, they don't really talk about it this way, do they? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and so that was certainly true. You know, with with the wellness coaching, because again, um, you know, I didn't have a perfect plan, and you know, I I did all sorts of training. I even got certified in P90X so I could do group and other things. So again, I was constantly learning and coming across other people and opportunities along the path. But yeah, especially looking back now, it was a first step that I knew wouldn't be a perfect step, but it's the one that made the most sense back then. Mm-hmm. So then um, you're now considered a high performance coach. So let's talk about that transition from wellness to high performance. When were you doing the wellness where you felt like, mm, this still isn't exactly it? Or was it something that you were like, uh, I really like this part of the wellness coaching. Let me enhance that. What was that transition like? Yeah. So, yeah, it's a really good question because, again, um, coming from my background, which was completely different, was very much the individual contributor as an engineer and then certainly teamwork and other things. But it was definitely the corporate world. Um, and especially when you're in management and tech management, the problems come at you. You don't necessarily go seek out mm-hmm. problems or challenges or people or things to help. Again, pretty much all the stuff of all smells shows up on your desk and you do your best to sort through that and figure out what you can first help with. So going from that to you know either wellness coaching or anything else where it was, it was a very different approach where I was having to go seek out people and to um, basically sell myself more and more. And so that was very different. But what I was realizing, too, in the fitness and, and wellness world, first of all, so many people do need help and guidance and coaching. There's no question. But there's a lot of, quite honestly, slimy sales stuff going on with that. And uh, there's a lot of – because of that, a lot of people are kind of fearful or hesitant or just tired of trying yet another thing that gives them an empty promise. Mm-hmm. So what I was finding was, huh, I'm being really genuine here, but it, there's, I'm just meeting a lot of resistance, and I, I feel like I'm more spinning my gears than influencing people in a positive way. So there's a level of frustration and reality once I got going with that as well. Mm. So, yeah, so then from there, but what made you change into the high-performance coach? What was When you're saying you met this resistance, how did you become more persistent to overcome it and move forward and take a different way and say, okay, what I was doing before wasn't working. Well, let me try this. And okay, that seems to be working better. Let me go that route. Right. Well, that's the great thing about any journey. Both the great thing and the frustrating thing is we may have a few steps outlined, but once you get into the action and taking steps, all sorts of twists and turns and surprises will show up. So for, for me, uh, the quote-unquote team that I was connected with for this direct sales company happened to be uh, one of the women's best friends with Shalene Johnson. And so I got on her email list and then heard about Brendan Burchard. And, and that's when I first heard about High Performance Academy. And 
I did that training in that class and just really loved the framework. And, and certainly just, again, as the evolution, as I was learning things, I'm like, oh, this stuff is really cool. And I could, you know, I, not only for myself, but I see how people would benefit from this. And so when um, Brandon Burchard and his team decided to first launch the High Performance Coaching Certification Program, I'm like, I'm in. And there was just something about it that really resonated with me. And it certainly includes energy and, and wellness and all that, but it really, it hits at a slightly higher level with people. And it really, for me, it was like, ah, this feels like a more natural fit. Mm-hmm. And and so when that, again, when that came along, I was like, I'm in. And that's what I've been focusing on and not only using for myself, but, but clients as well. Because again, it's one thing to preach something, but if you want integrity, you better really believe it, live it, and benefit from it yourself first. Mm. So how would you describe living a high-performance life? Well, I mean, some of the quote-unquote like Wikipedia-type definitions that are out in the industry are like high-performance means excelling and succeeding above standard norms consistently over the long term. Now, that's kind of a, a boring definition, but there are a few important things in there. It's about Again, above standard norms consistently over the long term. So again, this isn't about peak performance, which is like getting all hyped up for an event. Mm -hmm. And it really is about consistently over the long term. So in kind of in a nutshell, it's really about these systems and structures and habits that help you grow and continue to perform more and better ongoing. So it's really... This is not a, a quick one and done thing. This is really, again, kind of a structure and a framework to really help people with that. So when you're working with clients, what have you noticed is some of the most common obstacles? And what are your suggestions, maybe like, again, a step one or two for people to start the process of living a more high performance life? Yeah, the first one is something we all, I think, struggle with, and that is the uh, the sense of overwhelm and too much coming at us constantly than we can ever really deal with properly. And so for, for most of us, it's really almost always about being really um, brave and courageous about purging things from our to-do list <laughs> and our project list. In other words, to, to gain clarity, you have to clear the field. Mm-hmm. And for, for most people, that's both the scariest thing to do, yet it's also the most impactful once they embrace the process and start doing more of it. Yeah, I would agree. I actually just personally was doing more clarity work today, and it's um, it's a little scary sometimes, right? Because you're <laughs> like, you know, you're doing all these things, you're keeping busy, or you think you're going on the right path. And then you sit down and you really listen to your truth and you're like, wait a second, <laughs> maybe mm-hmm. this is not going exactly where I want and you've got to cut back and, and that can affect other people as well. And so, you know, that's definitely a challenge. FOMO is alive and well. <laughs> FOMO is alive and well. Fear of missing out. And, and we laugh, but we, again, it's one of those things we can know that it's true, but that doesn't mean we're consistently keeping that in mind day to day when we're kind of battling our inner demons and trying to keep focused on our to-do list and not get distracted. It's, it's tough. And something that I remind myself and clients of all the time, 
to be honest about. It's like the fact that we live in a world now where that's the new norm, where things coming at us is the new constant. So rather than trying to fix that, because you can't and you can't control it, you really need your own systems and structures and habits that let you create a moat, a little bit of cone of silence around yourself or whatever's needed to not be as impacted by that because that stuff happens every day. That's not changing, but you can. Mm, I like that. I like that analogy too. Now, I know when we've talked before, um, you know, one of the cool things that I think you do really well is you take your systematic approach that you've used as a software engineer and couple it with kind of this holistic type of stuff. Can you talk a little bit about your process for that and how that helps you and your clients? Sure. And yeah, yeah, thanks for that. Cause I, I, I laugh, but it is really true. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a unicorn and I, I, I'm okay. I embrace that because <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely have the whole geeky engineering analytical side, but I've always been, you know, I have like the musician performer, very, uh, sensitive and emotionally in tune side. So they don't necessarily seem like natural pairs, but for me, they just are both parts of me. And what I really try and do is uh, the analytical skills are, or can be a tool unless they're a weapon. And so what it really comes down to is, is really honestly just having empathy for people and understanding that Engineering a software project is not the same as helping someone engineer their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. But I, I mean, I'm similar in some way because I'm very creative and, and open and all these things. But I like the organization and lists and task oriented <laughs> stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah. every time I'm learning something new, I'm like, okay, can you put it in a list? It just seems to process much better to be able to take <laughs> action. So I appreciate the way that you do that. Oh, thank you. And, and what's interesting, too, is a lot of these things that we, we learn or gain clarity about for ourselves are usually way after the fact. Uh, but, but even when I was in the software world, even though I wanted just to be the geek and do my programming thing and just kind of do my own stuff off to the side, I was always put in roles that were between the highly technical people and the non-technical groups. Uh, so even in the software world, I was usually in a bridge role to mm-hmm. communicate between two extremes because I was one of the few that could do it. And, and that's why I love what I do now because, again, it allows me to keep using kind of those bridge strengths, which, again, I never thought of myself as having, but um, others recognized it now that I've actually looked at it more. I'm like, oh, I, yeah, I kind of see how, how that could be. But, again, kind of when we're our own heads, we don't really see things in the same way initially. Yeah. And I would agree that, you know, like I said, you know, we've chatted a few times and I definitely think that's your strength. And, um, they always say the things that are most natural to us that we don't even think are a skill that just kind of express from us. And we do all the time are, are, are gifts and are the things that we're great at and what we need to enhance. So I think that's really neat that, you know, now you've discovered that, oh, I can use this in another way outside of that world that I did for so long. Right. <laughs> yeah. So now uh, the other question I have for you is I know you lived in California for a while. You said Silicon Valley, and now you live in Portland, Oregon. Uh, why the change, and how do you feel that Portland has made you feel as a person in a different way versus Silicon Valley? 
well, first of all, I'm like, oh, God, the people in Portland now are going to exile me because they now know officially. (laughs) (laughs) I half joke, but it is kind of a thing. There are – there's still quite a mass exodus out of parts of California, especially Silicon Valley, Northern California, up to – up here to Portland. Um, I mean for me, I had had a few sets of friends relocate here. And really liked it. I had a couple cousins relocate from Virginia to nearby Vancouver. So when I had a built-in network of people I already knew. Um, and the reason I chose – first of all, I had been in Silicon Valley since college. So you know, I, that area is beautiful. The weather's amazing. There's a lot of great stuff there. But as most people know, the prices, the traffic, every, the energy there is really, really frenetic and pretty intense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was ready for a change from that. And so I knew Portland would be urban, hip, and cool, and fun without the, um, quote-unquote, sense of entitlement that sometimes um, <clears throat> the Bay Area can be known for. I was worried about the weather. I had no idea how much my worries would be <laughs> supported with this past winter, the worst one in a long time. <laughs> But but I, I can't say that – I mean, overall, it's still been a really great decision. I, I love the vibe of the city. Um, people are very, very friendly here. It's very walkable, bike-friendly, dog-friendly. And again, it's um, – it just is not at the same pace as Silicon Valley. There aren't many parts of the country that feel the same intensity of Silicon Valley. Mm. Yeah, and uh, as you know, you've met her. My sister lives out there as well, and she's been there for a year and feels the same way. I mean, she talks about, you know, just the energy. She loves that everybody is so communal and helpful, and she loves the art, um, and everybody's very um, environmentally conscious, and so she enjoys that as well. Yeah, no, in fact, I forgot to mention that, but that that's definitely something that had been on my mind since I'm um, – a, I, I say I'm a practical, not political, plant-based person. Uh, Portland's a great place for that. I mean, it's so easy here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it wasn't hard necessarily in the Bay Area, but I think, quite honestly, it's even easier here. And, and yeah, just the um, – that's very true. The energy here is, is completely different, and, and people are genuinely friendly and not as frenetic. And um, it is beautiful. Having regular water – does help, even though, of course, California after this past winter can say that for a short bit. But uh, in general, it makes a big difference when when you're not always in drought mode, for sure. Yes, definitely. So where can people learn more about you and the type of things that you do, whether on social media or a website? Well, uh, I do keep pretty busy with my Facebook page. Uh, if you just look up my name, you can find me. Um, also, my blog, which is my name as well, seanomara.com. Um, there's a dash in there, but mm-hmm. anyway. Uh, and and also Instagram and Twitter. Those are really the main ones. And um, I, I really, especially for my blog, I the splash page just talks a little bit about the things that I'm currently working on to help with people. And Facebook and, and Twitter tend to be a variety of things as well, but that's the great way to connect. And, and yes, you'll probably see pictures of my dog almost as much or more than me because I'd rather do that than pictures of me, but that's just real life. <laughs> yes, your dog is adorable. <laughs> oh, th- th- thank you. And, 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 and she's still quite humble, so that's why I figure I can keep up with the photo frequency. <laughs> yes, I like it. I like it. And the last question I ask all my guests is what's one 
word or quote or mantra that you like to live by every day? Ooh, good one. Um, that would be live like who you are and what you do matters. I agree. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Sean. It's been a pleasure and we will chat soon. Thanks again for your time, Carrie. We'll talk again soon. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, I would greatly appreciate a review over on iTunes. And if you'd like to be featured on the podcast, be sure to message me over on Instagram at Carrie, K-E-R-I dot N dot Roberts. Remember that each of us has something that makes us great. So go out there and show the world what makes you extraordinary. <laughs>